Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, presented by Conserve the Wild, your destination for an unfiltered look at conservation. Now, let's get wild. Let's take a quick break to talk about one of our partners, SOS Gear. SOS Gear is based in Montana and run by Chelsea, and she makes some great products out of paracord. Right now I'm holding a belt Chelsea made me just a couple weeks ago. This belt is absolutely gorgeous. I went with the black and black camo, but that's not even the best part. My father's been wearing the same style belt for a year, and it looks brand new. Other people I've talked to have worn their belts without any rips or frays for two, three, and even five years. There's a wide range of colors you can pick from, so you can make your own statement. Check out some of her products she's made over at her Instagram, SOSGearMT or her Twitter, at SOSGearMT. You can order a belt of your own at SOSGearMT.com. That's SOSGearMT.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Conservation Unfiltered podcast. This is episode number two, and this is a big one. This is our first full-length episode. This is also when you get to be introduced to my co-host, Talon Konjak. Uh, In this episode, we're talking about the importance of wild spaces, how important they are to wild animals, the fact that the amount of wild spaces is actually shrinking uh, due to uh, urban sprawl and and suburban sprawl. But we also talk about just how important these wild spaces and public lands that we have uh, are to uh, our society and people in general. Just being able to be outside and recreate, hunt, fish, spend time with family, and probably most of all, be able to unplug and sort of recharge ourselves and, and, you know, from being able to get away from the demands of everyday society. So buckle in, strap in. Uh, it's a good one. Uh, hopefully you enjoy listening to it as much as we did recording it. Then welcome to the Conservation Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Jason Creighton. I got my co-host, Talon Konjak, with me. Uh, Talon, why don't you say hi and give us a little insight about you since this is our first recorded episode. Uh, hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. And uh, hello, everybody. I'm Talon Konjak. I teach high school at the Freeport Area High School in Pennsylvania. And since this is a hunting podcast, a uh, little background of what I do there. Um, I've been hunting since I've been 12 years old. Um, near Marionville, Pennsylvania, but in the Allegheny National Forest is uh, probably my favorite place to be. Um, archery hunting, rifle hunting, flintlock hunting, you name it. Uh, the big game of Pennsylvania uh, is what I like chasing. Uh, just getting back into fishing again. Uh, spent a lot of time coaching, so I was out of fishing, but now I'm kind of back into trout fishing the streams up there that I used to do when I was a kid. And uh, so that's what brings me here. Yeah, you can uh, you can go ahead and be our fishing expert on this podcast. Uh, I don't know, I don't know how much I don't know how much of an expert it's gonna be, it's gonna be. But uh, well, between between you're the expert. Uh, that's that's not really my jam. Yeah. Um, but uh, I fully understand that uh, the coaching aspect and not having a whole lot of time outdoors that uh, hit me too. But I was lucky enough to get out of that couple years yeah. before you so i'll tell you what people who do it good for them but it's uh, a ton of time people don't realize yeah definitely not 
and not a whole lot of pay either. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, so today uh, we're going to, you and I, we're just going to sit back and sort of talk about uh, just the importance of uh, wild spaces, just habitat. So um, sort of to, to get us started, I guess we'll just talk a little bit about uh, what wild spaces means for wildlife. Uh, is that something you want to start or you want me to go ahead and start that first? No, you can go for it. Yeah, so, you know, as an educator, we're both teachers uh, by career choice. Uh, you know, I try to spend my time trying to educate people on uh, on what conservation means and, and things like that. And uh, when I talk about how important wild spaces are to these people. I like to sort of bring to the table is it's basically their home uh, for wildlife, right? So, um, you know, as far as, you know, how we treat wildlife and, and their and their home, those wild spaces, uh, it'd be like someone, you know, coming into your home and, uh, you know, deciding, hey, I'm going to take out all this uh, furniture. I'm going to take your bed out here uh, whenever we go through and take out trees, you know? So, um, it, it, I think everyone understands how important, uh, you know, the habitat is and forests and wetlands are for wildlife. I think they have a general understanding, but I feel like it makes a little bit better connection whenever you equate it to people in their home. I mean, this is where deer and turkey and, and ducks live are out there in these elements. Yeah. When there's no personal connection there, you know, people put stuff out of their mind when it's, when it's not right in their face, you know, it's, it's right in you and I's face because we're, we're out in the woods constantly. So we're seeing uh, housing developments pop up and seeing how it changes deer pressure, wildlife, where things moving to the coyotes. My gosh, coyotes are in my backyard now uh, just because they're losing, they're losing, they're forced closer and closer to us. But if it's, kind of like one of those things what out of sight out of mind if- yeah absolutely and, and the whole wildlife human conflict right i mean you know if you uh if you go into any of these neighborhoods and you say okay we're going to uh demolish two or three or five or 20 of these houses and these people that live in these houses now have to live with whoever else is still around obviously that's gonna be a cause for concern Right. And that's what it kind of causes that conflict. You would think that that would cause conflict with people that's doing the same thing with, with wildlife, you know, so now you're getting areas that have an overabundance of deer, uh, you know, like in reference in Pennsylvania, like Allegheny County, uh, Mount yeah. Lebanon was in the, in the paper, you know, all the time because they have, they keep forcing the wildlife into housing developments because there's no, area of woods for them to go that can that can support all of them so they're eating their flowers they're eating their gardens everybody's getting all worked up about it but we're the reason we force them out right and the compound on that you know when you got these people that uh are for lack of a better term citified uh you know they're moving into these suburban housing complexes now they won't allow you know hunters to come in and and hunt those deer so not only do you have uh, more deer in smaller spaces, but then you can't manage those numbers and it just gets to be more and more and more and more deer. Right. And so manage, you talk about managing the numbers, can't manage the numbers down there because nobody can hunt anywhere. Nobody's going to let you hunt in their backyard. Uh, right. And, and the, the idea of, right. And the idea of, you know, trying to let nature take its course, 
letting nature take its course is basically letting the weak uh, deer or whatever it is uh, starve to death. Well, that's hard to do whenever, you know, you got your neighbors planting uh, plants that, you know, shrubs and trees that the deer like to eat. Yeah, they got them food. They got plenty. And then so they got plenty of deer down there. And then we go up to the Allegheny National Forest to hunt. There's so much area. I mean, you can cover, you can walk for three days without covering the same area or more. You can walk for a week without covering the same area. And you're not seeing the amount of deer that you see uh, closer to a city. Right, right. And, and I think that's a, that's a perfect segue for, for us to, you know, start talking about, you know, you go, uh, we both go up north. Um, you're a little closer to the Allegheny National Forest than I am. Uh, but both of us go up for, I think, a lot of probably similar reasons. I mean, yeah, we're hunting, but, uh, you know, these wild spaces, they have a role for, for human beings as well, you know. Right. Um, so I know me personally, I'm going up there. Uh, you know, we have our own family property, but there's also, you know, some public land up there too. And going up there to sort of reconnect with nature, yep. uh, you know, and, and be able to just really as close as you can mimic what, you know, the – the early humans were able, you know, what they experienced every day. Yeah. And not everybody has access to, to public land. So like these wild spaces that we're talking about, like the public hunting areas and the, the uh, national forests and uh, game lands, everybody has access to that. You know, not everybody can walk out their back door and go into a tree stand in the woods in their own little private reserve that just doesn't exist. So people wanting to get rid of these public public lands is, is not a, a good idea. There's so many people that use them, not just hunting. You know, I, we see people all the time on the trails up there through, through the national forest doing things other than hunting. Uh, right. I mean, that's, that's the big thing for me is, I mean, you know, hunting seasons, my wife wouldn't agree with this, but hunting seasons relatively short. Um, you know, you only have a couple months to, to actually go after games. So, you know, if you want to be out in, the forest or in the wild, you know, you got to come yeah. up with other activities to do. Right. <laughs> my, wife, the, my wife finally caught on to that too. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> Just last week she goes, you always say how short hunting season is, but you've been, you were hunting for six months. <laughs> I guess I was. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, even, you know, in the summer, I mean, there's really the only thing that you can legally hunt in Pennsylvania in the summer is uh, coyotes and, and, and groundhogs. Um, so crows, you know, yeah, crows and yeah. crows. Yeah, I guess crows too. Uh, the, I, none of those are overly common in the summertime, you know, as far as people going out to hunt them. So, you well, know, especially me, in the, the national forest, like right, you know, that's right. More, you're going, you got to go to your neighbor's farm to hunt groundhogs and crows, you know? Right. So, you know, for me, it's, you know, you got to get out there. You, you, I do some, um, some work planting trees and things like that on our property, but I like going over to, um, you know, some state parks, Cook's Forest, places like that, do some hiking, you know, yeah. try to find some wildlife out there. Yeah, they got the, the swimming holes set up up there too at uh, Lolita and Clear Creek and uh, a lot of good family recreational areas to go in the summer. People camp out for a week up there. Yeah, Right, and it, it's great for, I, especially in today's age, I mean, it's, it's hard to disconnect. Uh, you know, we always have our phones with us and, um you know, uh, I know a lot of people, myself included, they, I have my email right there on my phone. So, yeah. you know, it's, I'm not even at work and yet I'm still being reminded of work. So it gives you time to, to disconnect and get away from it's, technology. 
tell us as teachers that we don't really see the brunt of that with all the kids. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Every day, hard to keep those kids off their phones. Yeah. We were just, I was just talking about it the other day and I, I brought up that when I go to camp, you know, cause I'm going up this weekend, uh, when I go up to camp, uh, no service, no nothing, you know, so you're disconnected. You feel like rejuvenated when you leave. And even yeah. one of the kids who's always on his phone goes, I'm, I, I'll be the first to admit I'm always on my phone, but I always feel better when I come back to camp because I wasn't, he's like the first day is like hard, but he's like, by the time I get home, I feel like, you know, decompressed and my stress levels down. And I told him, I guess, cause you're on your phone all the time. That stuff, yeah, stress, I mean, that stuff stresses you out. Yeah, it's all about that mental and emotional health and just, you know, so you need, getting back to zero. So you need places like that where people can go and relax and, and recharge the batteries and get away from society. If, you you know, you don't have these spaces uh, to go to, you know, you're losing a lot. You're losing a lot of that, not just benefits of hunting, you know, you right. you know your own well-being. Absolutely. And, you know, I just uh, saw a report that we're right now in America losing about 1 million acres of forest every single year. Um, I mean, that's, that's crazy, you know, that, that we're losing all that. Um, But there still are places we can go, you know, there's, there's places that are deemed public land. So that means, you know, we all own that, that acreage, right? Um, So just to, to, you know, places that people can go, um, you know, you can go to a national park. Um, there's now, obviously some of these might be a little closer for some people than others. Uh, we don't have uh, a whole lot of national parks, uh, here in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, but people out West do, but I mean, there's, there's 52.2 million acres of national park, uh, in our country. Um, you know, so there's a whole lot of acreage out there. Um, we also have the Bureau of Land Management, 247.3 million acres. Wow. That's a lot of land. <laughs> yeah. It, that's, that's. But here, you know what I feel like we're talking about, you just said we lose a million acres a year. That sounds like, but when you compare it to that, it doesn't sound like a lot, but so that's what people think. Oh, we got all this land. It's okay. If you lose a little bit, like, you know, it's that given inch. Yeah. yeah I agreed. 100%. Because if you, start, um, they just start, cutting it off and cutting it off and you lose more and more and more. We're lucky in PA. PA is great when it comes to public land. I think the game commission that I thought, I thought I read in the game news last year that they added. Yeah. They I could did be- last. Yeah. Last year they added, um, I want to say it was around a hundred thousand acres last year. Okay. Um, yeah. I, I, I know. That, remember like, I don't, I don't have notes or anything. <laughs> with me. <laughs> I, I actually have a, those, these are the numbers I've written down. Um, and why didn't you tell me to come prepared? Because <laughs> uh, you're just a co-host. You don't have to be prepared. Uh, the, uh, the game commission, actually, they just released, I saw on a tweet, I want to say uh, a couple of days ago, uh, they're up to 1.5 million acres now for state game lands. That's pretty good. Uh, yeah, that's real good. Uh, you know, especially, you know, I mean, when you think state game lands, I know as far as we – probably you think the same way I do. You're thinking hunting opportunity. Um, but I mean, there's, you can take advantage of that in so many different ways, uh, you know, between hiking, um, you know, you can train dogs uh, during certain times of the year. 
uh, snowmobile trails, ATV trails, uh, those are all available on certain game lands. And the idea is, you know, just go out, be a part of it. Yeah. Take your family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another thing, another thing that I saw, take your family. That's easy. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is. Um, you know, I just, I was just, as I'm looking for some of these acreage deals, I happened to stumble upon that Pennsylvania, something I didn't know. Uh, Pennsylvania is actually has, is the third best state for public parks, uh, state parks. Uh, um, we actually have, yeah, the third largest acreage when it comes to public parks, only, uh, Alaska and California have more state parks than Pennsylvania. Wow. Yeah. So I thought that was, that's pretty impressive. Yes. Um, you know, um, so, but you know, like you said, you know, we're losing, like we talked about, we're losing a million acres of, of forest a year. So, you know, what are some things we can do to, to keep that from happening or to try to lessen uh, this sort of urban and suburban sprawl that, that is plaguing uh, the outdoors? That's stuff that nobody does anymore and bug your lawmakers about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that honestly, that is by far the 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 biggest thing that you can do to help with that. Yeah. Anytime. And like I said, we're lucky in PA though, because we don't have to bug anybody about it. Cause we're adding. Yes, we are. The, the States that are subtracting, you know, it, it, the national stuff we could, we could take part in, but uh, like state wise, you know, you and I being outside of Pennsylvania in Pennsylvania, we can't do that with the lawmakers of Ohio or whatever, but you know, I don't know. You know, like you got to keep at it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and the whole keep at it part, um, you know, just real late last year, uh, Congress finally re-upped the farm bill, uh, which has a whole lot of moving parts to it. Um, but the biggest one when it comes to conservation uh, with the farm bill is just CRP, um, which basically enables farmers to not plant acreage but still make money off of that uh acreage as if they would have planted it and you know that that's huge because you know there's a lot there's less and less farmers out there today so if you don't you know if you're a farmer who's not making a whole lot of money and you know you don't you can't sell your crop uh you know having crp available is gonna keep you from selling to a subdivision yeah or even just aging Yes. Not having somebody to take over the farm uh, and not being able to keep up with the planning and all that stuff. I mean, we see that with a lot of farms around here. Uh, yes, we do. You know, farms that were planted. I remember being planted as a kid. You could see corn for a mile and now they're, it's just overgrown. And, uh, yeah. And, and the, you know, the CRP actually does benefit wildlife. You know, I mean, um, as long as there's not a house built there, you know, that, all that new growth is actually going to be helping all the birds and, oh, yeah. and the deer. Yep. Um, but the problem is, you know, for a lot of these older farmers, if their kids don't take over, you know, the kids just want to offload that farm. Right. Um, but at least this way they can, you know, make some money off of it um, well, without so- actually having to do the work. <laughs> yeah. Still having an, an opportunity for wildlife to, to thrive. Yeah. Um, and then the other one, hopefully, that gets, uh, gets extended here uh, in the very near future is the Land and Water Conservation Fund, which I'll be honest, until uh, probably October of last year, I had no idea what that was. 
Um, and basically what that is, it's um, the, all the offshore drilling that happens in the Gulf of Mexico. Um, there is basically a tax on all of that. Um, I think up to $700 million, uh, basically royalty fees is what it is. And uh, we're supposed to take that money and use it for uh, in sort of like a grant process uh, for things like boat launches, uh, creating or updating new state parks, city parks, um, could be shooting ranges at the game lands, things like that. So uh, Pennsylvania has done really good with utilizing a lot of that money, um, but it's something that right now doesn't exist. Uh, they haven't, Congress hasn't re-upped that. So that's something that uh, could definitely uh, be a game changer there. That's a lot of money. Yeah. I mean, it's something that's been going on since the seventies. Um, so, you know, taking advantage of it, we, you know, our state and a lot of states have been, um, but if it goes away, I mean, that would be a huge game changing blow to conservation and, and being able to do things that give people access to be able to get outside. Right. Right. Um, and, you know, the other thing that a lot of people don't think about, and it's, it's you, a little more. You lose that money. Where's it going to come from? Right. Exactly. exactly. So that's when you start selling off land because you need more money. Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then a, a lot of people don't think about it unless they're, they're people like you and me. But, you know, donating your own hard-earned money, that's where it's going to have to come from. Um, if we don't have that up to $700 million coming from hmm. BP and Exxon and, and, you know, companies like that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's always, you know, and there's some people that are out there that will do it, you know, and it's something I'd like to, to hopefully see more of, um, you know, especially as, as these farmers age out and the kids don't want to take over uh, the farm, it'd be just donating that land uh, to a conservation organization. Right. You know, um, you know, that's not necessarily the, uh, the, the best financial uh way to go as far as you know for your family but um that you know you, know, you want to talk about having a, a legacy uh for your name right. uh, you know donate some land in perpetuity that that has to be for a conservation organization yeah that'd be a good idea too so you uh you have any other ideas out there <laughs> I, I wish i did <laughs> yeah i wish i did too there are, a lot quite of people, there are a lot of people a lot smarter than me out there, but uh, um, it, it makes it tough because uh, just the fact that the money involved in it, you know, you're fighting off uh, selling land, which is a hot commodity, especially in our area right now. And in Pennsylvania, which I feel like is a, a lot of areas of Pennsylvania, yeah, are, are not growing and getting smaller, but there are a lot of areas that are growing. Uh, so. Yep. You know, land is always at a premium here, uh, so that makes it tough to to fend that off. But uh, you know, you just got to stay diligent with it. Yeah, I mean, my my dad is famous in my family for always saying they're not making any more land. Yeah, uh, you know, so uh, it. I mean, which my wife and I are finding now, trying to look at some properties and stuff. I mean, you know, when my grandfather bought the property our cabin sits on, it was uh, three hundred dollars an acre, um, and now you know, in places that are a little more built up. I mean, we're seeing property going for, you know, $5,000 an acre, $10,000 an acre. Yeah. I wish um, it was, we're looking for land right now. I wish it was $5,000 an acre where we were looking for land. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's crazy how expensive land is now. Yep. Um, 
and it's because they're not making any more and, and people know that there's other people that are willing to pay, uh, you know, a pretty good penny for that. Yeah. So it just, it, it makes it very, very tough without, you know, having those, those other ways to, to go about uh, getting the land and getting the money to, to purchase the land. Right. You know, so, you know, I mean, last year, you know, our game commission buying that land that it did to, to increase the size of state game lands. I mean, just to, you know, just imagine how much they spent to do that, you know, right. fair market value. We got to use it. We yeah, have to. We got to, you got to use it. You know, I, I think everybody too gets like in their head because you watch hunting shows. I, I'll say it all the time. I, a lot of hunting shows ruin hunting. Because Absolutely. People think that this is how it's done. And that's like the five per five percent of people maybe can do that. You know, uh, actually hunting is going to your public lands and hunting on your own. You know, the, where your your dad, your granddad taught you how the deer go on this hill, or you, you know how where they're going to run through this valley when they get pushed or bumped or whatever. You know, passing it down generation to generation. That's that's how everybody hunts. Like when you talk about hunting, that's how everybody hunts. It's yep. It's be and honestly, it's because you know that that it's too expensive. It's cost prohibitive for people to go out and buy property now. Yeah, you know? so, so you need you need a space to go do that. You, know, you have to get be able to get out in the woods and, and and have an area for the guy who has a half acre lot in a suburb to be able to go somewhere to hunt. Yeah. You know? And, that's, you know, that's me. I'm that guy. <laughs> right. And it's that, that whole, you know, adage, if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. I mean, it seems like uh, every year now, some congressman out West is putting in a new bill that would transfer pub, you know, national public lands to States. Constantly. Um, yeah. And, and look, you know, not using it. We drive around uh, and count cars. That's like one of our traditions. Like if you shoot a buck in archery season, you get to sleep in all that stuff we go around and count cars and the cars we would count from the nineties until now, just over the last 20 years has easily been cut in half of people on the first day of rifle season. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. People um, aren't, people aren't doing it. I went, I went to uh, public land. It was the Friday. It was the second Friday. Uh, I mean, I know it's a work day and it was a Friday, but I went in the woods and I walked for two hours into the woods and two hours out and I didn't see a boot track. So you're telling, and the snow was down for two or three days. I didn't see another set of tracks on a four hour walk. That, that's just, that's opportunity. You know, that's, so that's basically having your own private place to hunt. Yeah. But the negative to that is, is people aren't using it. So we're going to lose that. What's right. the point in what's the point in keeping it if people aren't going to use it? Yeah, and that's a scary thought, you know. And you know, I was lucky enough last fall to go out to Montana for an elk hunt, and we hunted in the Flathead National Forest. And I mean, I mean, just it's such beautiful country. And you know, to think that there's people out there that don't even want to see something like that is is yeah. amazing to me. Yeah. Huh. Someday. <laughs> <laughs> there's a difference between uh, wanting to and not yeah. being able to 
and <laughs> not caring if, if it's even there. Someday. Man, those two-year-olds, they make it hard to do stuff you want to do. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not looking forward to that part of, of fatherhood. <laughs> yeah, but, but on the back end of it, you went out there with your dad. So someday I'm going to get to do that. <laughs> yeah, you're just going to have to wait a couple more years. In, or in your case, what, 30-some more? <laughs> yeah, something like that. But, All right, so do you have any uh, concluding thoughts on uh, the importance of, of wild spaces? Uh, you know, just the, the, the more you talk about it, the more you realize how important they actually are. Like, you know, even, like I said, I go up to Allegheny National Forest all the time. Like, it's like our little – feel like it's our own little private area. And <clears throat> the more you talk about just the fact of maybe, potentially, someday down the road – me not being able to do that or take my kid up there and, and show them how to do that kind of stuff. It, it, it's it's kind of alarming in that fact, you know, just that there's somebody out there, some politician out there that wants to, that is going to want to sell that off. When so many people use it, so many people can get enjoyment out of it and not just from the hunting. Uh, you know, when I'm up there in the summer checking trail cams or working on food plots or whatever it is, you see, uh, you know, campers parked at uh, the state parks all the time, all summer long. Uh, families getting away to be able to do that, like, economically. Because not everybody can go to the beach, too. You know, that's a, right. that's a way to take your family on a vacation to get away from your normal everyday routine that doesn't break the bank. Right, and... And I, you know, I mean, we're probably different than most of the society in the fact that, you know, there's a lot of time that we spend, you know, out in nature. Uh, a lot of families don't either don't have time or, or don't even want to spend as much time as we do. But even just doing it once or twice a year, I mean, just, you know, how good you feel about yourself and, and you know, your health whenever you come back after doing something like that. I mean, it, it, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. It is. And that does it for this episode number two on the Conservation Unfiltered podcast. Uh, you got something you want to say to us? You got a correction uh, that you want to make for us? We are not experts, that's for sure. Uh, you can either contact us through email. Uh, it's right there on our website, conservewild.org. Or if you're happening to be listening to this on the Anchor app, you can actually record what you have to say. And you never know, you might just hear it right there on one of future episodes. Uh, by all means, you can also contact us through Twitter. Uh, that's conserve underscore wild at conserve underscore wild. Uh, also, a little quick plug for us. If you could just uh, go on to your streaming service, whatever it is that you are using, uh, to listen to this podcast, please go on there. Give us a rating and a review. Uh, really help us out uh, to be able to reach more people and try to get more people outside and partaking in conservation. Until next time, stay wild. Mm-hmm.